Lord, we come before Thee now. At Thy feet we humbly bow. Oh, do not our suit disdain. Shall we seek Thee, Lord, in vain? Shall we seek Thee, Lord, in vain? Lord, on Thee our souls depend. In morning. Welcome to Preston Crest. It's great to see everyone here this morning, and we are so thankful that you have chosen to worship with us, whether you're here in person or worshiping virtually. I'm Stephen Miller, one of the elders here at this church, and this body is an incredible faith community that strives to love God and love others wholeheartedly. If you're visiting with us, we're, we're, we're really excited that you are here. If you're a first-time visitor, we ask that you fill out the attendance cart that's in the back of the pew in front of you and take it back to the information center. We'd love to give you a gift. We'd also like for you to stick around after services so we can get a chance to meet you. As we do each week, we'd ask our members and re returning uh, visitors to register to, to our church teams by texting the word CHECK-IN to 469-476-5331. The elders want to thank you, but it also encourage you to continue and complete the 40 days of prayer seeking God's wisdom over the calling out points that we made at our 50th anniversary worship and celebration from now until May 5th. These calling out points are on the screen as well as in your bulletin, and we're just thankful that this body has been praying for almost 40 days. We also want to highlight the date night from last week where a large group gathered to enjoy a great meal and be encouraged, edified, and challenged in their relationships by Chris and Stacy Hatchett. 
And tonight during our worship services at 6 p.m., we will be recognizing and encouraging all the participants from Leadership Training for Christ that occurred a couple weeks back. We may even get to see and hear some of the participants share their experiences with Genesis they've been working on since the beginning of the year. Before we pray, hear these words from Lamentations 3, 24 through 26. It says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in, is, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. We acknowledge you as the creator, provider, and one true God over all things. Your steadfast love never ceases, and your mercy never ends, and it is, they are new every morning. We are so thankful that you are so good to those whose hope is in you and to those who seek you. Father, I just want to thank you for this community of believers who worship and serve here at Preston Crest. We thank you for their commitment to following your teachings and the encouragement, support, and love they show each other and in our community. Father, we trust and rely on you. This morning, we ask you to heal those who are struggling with their health, those looking for jobs, those who are grieving from recent loss, those who are discouraged or have other needs. May we lean heavily into you in trying times and turn our anxieties and fears into deeper faith. Now, Father, I pray that you will bless this worship as we respond, showing our deep gratitude for what you have done and what you will do in our lives. We thank you for Jesus, and it in his holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Stephen. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits
going to sing one more song and then Trent Brown will come and lead us this morning around our time of communion.
morning, church. I decided this morning to stand here uh, behind this table. This is our ceremonial Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper table. And uh, like you, I have many memories of this table. There we go. Like you, I have many memories of this table growing up in, in churches. Um, I'm sure you do too. Um, many of them served from this, this point. Uh, many of them inscribed with the words, do this in remembrance of me. Many of our personal memories surround tables. If you think about it, it's dinner with families. It's Christmas, Thanksgiving dinners. It's um, dinner parties with friends. It's, it's all centered around a meal and a table. And if you look at tables, whether they're round, whether they're square, whether they're rectangle, tables are inclusive. When you sit at a table, you're sitting inwards. Sitting at a table is an inclusive experience. And that's what we're about to participate in this morning is an inclusive experience, even though we're not necessarily using this ceremonial table. You know, Jesus used a dinner table to provide many of his lessons. I think about a wedding dinner, turning water into wine. I think about dinner with Pharisees. I think about dinner with tax collectors. He also used a dinner table to deliver his most powerful message to us. So I'll be reading from Luke 22, verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this, share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of heaven has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Dearly Father, we, we thank you this morning for your son, the bread of life, whose body was beaten and broken for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.
Continuing in Luke 22. After, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your son who willingly sacrificed himself, spilt his blood on the cross so that we may inherit this new covenant with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Trent. Good morning, everybody. When you were talking about that table, I was just thinking my back started hurting. John Scott, have you ever been involved in trying to move that table? I have. I have too. That is a heavy piece of furniture. Anyway, it's good to be around the table together. It's funny how the church looks different in different places. We got people sitting around a camp, campfire of this church this morning out at the Preston Crest camp out having communion together as well. It's good to be together, whether you're here or there or online. If you want to give this morning, you can give through the website. There's a give button there. Give through church teams or just drop a check or some money out in the white collection box in the foyer. And that will go to support ministries like one of the cutest, sweetest, loudest ministries of Preston Crest, VBS, Vacation Bible School. Um, it will go to support ministries like that, and that's coming up next week. We'll start, or not next week, but the sign-ups start in a week. And then it's already May, so VBS is coming up really quick. Uh, but so many ministries that we help when we give. So let's pray. Lord God, it is amazing, fills us with energy, gives us gratitude, and humbles us when you invite us to join you in ministry. And Lord, I thank you for the women and the men who serve in ministries like VBS. I thank you for their commitment, their deep love, desire to share the gospel with people young and old. I thank you for their patience. I thank you for their tender hearts. God, we ask that you bless your work that's going on here at this church, here in our Dallas mission field and beyond to distant places around the world where we partner with people sharing the good news. Bless us with generous spirits as we respond to your generosity at the cross and try to show you 
how much we love you and love people made in your image by the way we care for them in Jesus' name. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Preston Crest. Last year's Rocky Railway VBS was a fun-filled adventure where kids discovered how Jesus pulls them through life's ups and downs. For almost 50 years, VBS has been one of the best ways we reach out to our community. Each year, almost 300 children come to our VBS as we worship, learn from God's Word, make crafts, have snacks, and learn about missions. This is such a wonderful week for our Preston Crest children and children from our community. Thank you for donating supplies and giving your time to help us prepare for this wonderful outreach. Most of all, thank you for serving as crew leaders and station leaders the week of VBS. VBS would not be possible without your generosity. Thank you, Preston Crest. Good stuff. Hey, I know uh, many of you have already passed by the prayer quilts out there in the foyer. If you can take just a second uh, after we are concluded with this assembly this morning, stop by there, tie some knots in those, uh, in those prayer quilts and say a prayer for these ladies. Uh, Janet French, sister of Leslie Houston, is recovering from brain surgery and also radiation treatments, and she's asking for healing and for relief of pain, and Linda Brantley. We saw her here on our 50th anniversary celebration. She has had a long, long road of recovery from a fall back in August and multiple surgeries and uh, a time in, in a rehab facility. She's uh, asking for prayers for continued healing at home as she continues with uh, the physical therapy so she can re regain her strength. So uh, take those names of those dear ladies with you this week and do stop by the prayer quilt table on your way out this morning. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. Then we're going to sing one more and then Gordon's going to come back up and share with us this morning. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. I Good to be together. Hi. So, 
the Atlantic uh, asked experts to offer their opinions on what they believed was the worst business decision ever. And so they gathered a wide range of ideas. Uh, one idea had to do with an engineer for a large multinational company who in the mid-70s, this engineer invented the digital camera. Kind of a big deal. You might have one in your pocket right now, probably do, or in your purse, or looking at you version in your hand right now. Uh, anyway, he pitched that idea to the brass, to the higher-ups at this company, and they didn't think it was a good idea, didn't invest in it. And uh, anyway, that was Kodak, and they have gone bankrupt since then, and I think are coming out of that in some form or fashion. Uh, there was New Coke. You guys probably remember, if you're old enough, New Coke. If you're young, you probably don't. It lasted, I think, for three months and was widely panned, as they say. Not considered a very good move, although others think it was a stroke of genius with mobs on the streets. Bring back classic Coke. And so they did. Uh, who knows? But New Coke was not that awesome. I didn't even know this. Did, did you know McDonald's used to own Chipotle? Did anybody know that? Like they did. And back in, what was it, 2006, they sold <laughs> Chipotle, which is considered not such a good move for McDonald's to have made. Uh, another one singled out Apple's decision to fire Steve Jobs and then realizing the error of their ways to bring him back uh, a little time after that. So I'd be curious if, if you have an idea, in your opinion, what was the worst business idea of all times? I heard a couple after first service. Uh, maybe you have a different idea to add to the list. What is clear is this. We don't usually know at the time the decision is made whether it was a great decision or a horrible decision. Usually we need to see the returns on that. We need to see uh, the consequences, short, midterm, long-term consequences of that to evaluate whether it was a stroke of genius or what were you thinking kind of decision. Uh, but we're going to talk this morning a little bit about wisdom. This week I was driving around and I think I was on Beltline, close to Montfort, and I, Montfort, Montfort, I don't know. Uh, I, was, I saw this weird-looking car. It looked a little bit like this. Let's put it up there. I took a picture of the car. Go ahead and put that car up there if you would. I took a picture of the car. Well, I want you to imagine, if you would. This, there it is. Um, that is not the picture I took. I did take a picture, but I found one that looked better on the Internet. The car looked like that, and super futuristic, and the thing, the, the there was something on the top that was spinning, and there was something on the back that was spinning. I thought it was one of those, maybe those Google, you know, like they're taking pictures and stuff, uh, Google Earth kind of thing or something. But actually, it was Waymo is what the, the logo said on the side of the car. And so I had to Google that. And Waymo bought out Google's self-driving cars. Remember when Google was doing that a while back? And Waymo is doing self-driving taxis, a car with no driver that will take you where you want to go, a taxi. And, and they're being piloted in Los Angeles and in Phoenix. And apparently there's a few rolling around Addison as well. I got back to the office and I was like, Barbara, look at this. I showed her the picture and I said, what do you think about that? Barbara Cooper, my assistant. And she said, oh, that makes me really nervous. Uh, she said, I think that's a bad idea, self-driving taxis. And I said, well, I get your point, uh, and I don't know if the technology is up to snuff where it's safe or anything right now, but I was just thinking, I have seen a lot of 
bad drivers out there. Amen? And I'm thinking, let's give the robots a shot. Let's see. I don't know that it, I really sincerely don't know that that's going to be any worse. But anyway, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, a disruptive technology that's going to make millions or billions or not, we will have to wait to see. But long ago, the Lord appeared to this brand new young king, Solomon, and made a very remarkable offer. So here we go. This is 2 Chronicles 1 verse 7. That night God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask, and I, God, will give it to you. That is quite an offer. It's a little bit like, if you'll forgive me, this is like the real life version of like the genie in a bottle. You know, the genie comes out, I'll grant you three wishes. A lot of people have the first wish, I want a thousand wishes or whatever. But this is a little bit like that scenario. God can actually deliver on this. The universe is his. Ask me whatever you want, I will give it to you. And this is not a hypothetical, this is not a, this happened in the real world to this young guy named Solomon. And he did not ask God, He did not ask God for a thousand more wishes, but he did ask for the one thing that would open a thousand more doors. He asked for wisdom, and for the rest of his life, that wisdom would unlock amazing things for him and for his nation. Instead of asking for wealth, he asked for that which oftentimes produces wealth. Instead of asking for happiness, he asked for that which adds happiness at every turn of life. Wisdom unlocks doors all the way through. So 2 Chronicles 1, 8 through 10, Solomon said to God, here we go, you have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and you have made me king in his place. Oh, Lord God, Let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now give me wisdom and knowledge to come in and to go out before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? So there it is. The tone of that is humility. It is a guy saying, I'm not up to the task. I know my limitations, and this is going to be a struggle. And this is not just going to be a struggle for me, you see. Solomon recognizes I'm now in a position of leadership, people, a nation, they are depending on me, whether they will prosper or live in misery, whether they will enjoy security or whether we will be a nation constantly at war. They are depending on me. I need wisdom and knowledge. And the thing that Solomon asked for is not just a one-off. It is something that the Word of God invites you and me to ask for as well. 
James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who generously gives to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Do you lack wisdom? I'm raising my hand. I lack wisdom. I need more wisdom. So are you willing, like Solomon, to humble yourself and say, I'm in trouble. I need help, Lord. I lack wisdom. Please give me wisdom. And the interesting thing here, this is not the case with everything that we ask God for, but this one, did you see? It's got a guarantee attached to it. God says, you ask me for wisdom, I will give you wisdom, verse 5. And so why aren't we asking God more? Why aren't we building this into every prayer that we pray? So what is wisdom? Here's a definition that's really just a composite from several other definitions. Wisdom is the ability to judge correctly and to choose the best path forward based on knowledge and understanding. Okay? That's what wisdom is. And so before we jump back into Solomon's story, what do you think? How is the human race doing in terms of wisdom these days? How are we scoring on the wisdom index these days in the year 2022? I bet you and I kind of probably have the same answer to that. I mean, in one way, we are so blessed. We have on our phones, on our tablets, on our computers, we have incredible, I mean, never before granted access to the collective information of the world. We can look anything up right now. We must be wise, right? This is, after all, what they call the information age. I remember when I was young, some of you oldies like me will identify with this. When I, when I was a youngster, we had in our house a collection of books, the World Book Encyclopedia. Now, maybe if you were from a more, like, highbrow, fancy family, you had Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, I don't know. But you probably had one or the other, or maybe you had a neighbor who had those. That was the internet. If you needed to know the answer to something, it might be in there. If it wasn't in there, you were unlikely to find out the answer. Unless maybe the library would have the answer. Maybe not. I remember I was a big fan of the Boston Celtics growing up. And if I wanted to know if the Celtics had won a game... This is before ESPN. This is before, if I want to know if the Celtics have won a game, wait two days and check the NBA scores in the paper. That's how I found out. If my team had won on Monday, I looked it up on Wednesday. Those were the days, and now how things have changed. This morning, I'm doing some surfing this morning, looking at what's going on over, overseas and stuff. And that led me, Ukraine, Russia, and, and, and Odessa, this city in, in the Ukraine. And I, I just, I don't know. I was just like, huh, I wonder who the mayor of Odessa is. The mayor of Odessa, Ukraine. So I jotted this down. It's Gennady Trukhanov. 
began his term back in 2014. What is the relevance of that? I don't know. But I could look it up. If I had tried to look that up in 1973, that would have been, I don't even know where you, where you go. Maybe call the consulate, the Ukrainian consulate or embassy somewhere. By the way, I know what you're thinking. You're wondering who the mayor was in 1798. I saw that as well. So that was Larion F. Portnov. The information we have access to, it is mind-blowing. And we have all of this information. But again, are we wiser? Are we wiser than people who lived 50 years ago, 100 years ago? We know more stuff, yeah. But are we wiser? I've heard this day that we live in called the age of information gluttony. Information gluttony. And if you think about information like you think about food, then we are eating too much. And we are eating too fast. And worst of all, because you determine what news feeds you're going to follow, what 24-hour channel, you know, news channel you're going to watch. Worst of all, you are feeding on what tastes good to you. So these are hallmarks of the information gluttony age, right? Brett McCracken wrote a good book. He wrote this. He said, our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulation, less synthesis. More distraction, less stillness. More pontificating less pondering, more opinion, less research, more speaking, less listening, more to look at, less to see, more amusements, less joy. There is more, but we are less, and we all feel it. Information gluttony is not producing wisdom. I look back on what dominated my news feed and what, what notifications were lighting up my phone a few weeks ago, and it was the slap. Remember the Oscars? Will Smith, Chris Rock. You won't remember this in a year. This is the way things work these days. We all remember and get excited and get angry and, want, and then we forget and we move on to the next thing. But it was, it was Will Smith, Chris Rock. Will Smith tells a, a joke about Will Smith's wife. Whether it was a good joke or not, you can decide. But Will Smith is enraged. He goes up and he slaps Chris Rock. Like, really, who cares? I mean, honestly, I, I don't know them. I enjoy some things, you know, entertained by them from time to time. I don't know them. And there's a war going on, and there's a pandemic that we're coming out of. There's an economic downturn. And by the way, there are people who I actually do know and care about who are going through a divorce, who've got a cancer diagnosis. Why should I care about that? But we all did. 
And I, I was wondering that week, how many believers, how many disciples of Jesus have spent more time hearing people talk about this, reading people talk about this, watching video on this, than they've spent in the Bible this week? On this slap. It's interesting. But that's the age we live in. We are inundated <laughs> with useless information. And I wonder what that says about us. We have so much information, real time instant information, but we, do we know how to sift it? Are we able to tell that 99.9% .9 of it is pointless and useless? Nicholas Carr wrote a book a few years back. It won a Pulitzer Prize. By the way, I think the title alone should win the Pulitzer Prize. He wrote a book about our information age, and the title of the book was the shallows. <laughs> Listen to what he had to say. He talked about how it's a, it's, a, it's a technology, the internet is, a technology of forgetfulness. Our brains, he argued, are being rewired. The neural pathways are being switched up by digital distractions the more we use the internet, the more we train our brains to be distracted because we are processing information more and more quickly, but with less sustained attention. And so he notes that, as you see on the screen, our brains become adept at forgetting, inept at remembering. So today, skimming is the default way people read. Skimming. He writes this. We are evolving from being cultivators of personal knowledge to being hunters and gatherers in the electronic data forest. The strip mining of relevant content replaces the slow excavation of meaning. Now, if Solomon felt this, this burden, this urgent need, this thirst for wisdom, we should feel it even more because it's so much easier for us to get lost in the information glut, so much easy, easier for us to be like a pinball getting bounced around by whatever notification is bouncing across our phone screen. It's so much easier for us to get fixated on a slap or whatever the, the internet mob is enraged about today. McCracken, who I quoted earlier, says, wisdom, I love this, wisdom is sort of like a healthy kidney it retains what is nutritious, and it filters out the waste. That's what wisdom does. So Solomon didn't just want wisdom. He knew he needed wisdom, and that that nation would need for him to be wise. They were all counting on him. And I imagine this scenario, which he mentions there in the Chronicles, 
of taking King David's place. Think about the shoes that Solomon is suddenly at this young age having to fill. Who was the George Washington of Israel? It wasn't King Saul. It was King David. People loved King David. How much of the Psalms did King David write that we now consider inspired literature? King David, his father, was not only this Renaissance man before there was a Renaissance. I mean, playing his harp and singing and and composing music and going to, to a great warrior. And wise at governance. I mean, he had it all, and now Solomon is supposed to, okay, it's your turn. Oh, God, give me wisdom. (laughs) Help me out. I mean, you can hear Solomon's desperate cry there. He had also gotten a front row look at some not-so-wise decisions just in his own family. One of his brothers, Absalom, had gotten a mob together, or you might call it a coalition, if you want to be nice to him, but he wanted to take the father, David, out. Murder him so Absalom could take the throne. Solomon had watched that play out. He'd watched another one of the brothers rape a sister. Amnon raped his sister. He had seen seen David not deal with that so wisely. Just didn't have the heart to punish Amnon. So he had seen Absalom once again. Bide his time and then kill Amnon. He had seen a lot of dysfunction. And now Solomon is not only called to be the leader of the family, but the leader of the nation. So again, God says, hey Solomon, ask me anything. And Solomon said, okay, give me wisdom and knowledge. And maybe if you were asked by God that question today, you might say, I'll take a billion dollars, please. Maybe you would say, I will take good health. Uh, Maybe you would say, I'm lonely. Can you give me the perfect friend or the perfect spouse? There are so many possible answers that we could give to that question. For Solomon, it was not a hypothetical question. It was a real question, and he asked, well, (laughs) give me wisdom And of course, verse 10, he says, wisdom and knowledge. Those are two different things, related but different. Wisdom helps us navigate knowledge. It helps us process piles of information that we have at our disposal. It brings us to understanding. Wisdom lights up different choices that we have before us and where those different choices will take us, those that will benefit us, those that will harm us, those that will help us, our family, our church, the world, and those that will not. Wisdom and knowledge both have importance to us. Wisdom has to do with discernment and judgment. Knowledge has to do with the information that we gain through our personal experiences or through the internet or through our reasoning or through outside input like nature, science, or or a counselor or friend who speaks into our life. There are a lot of people who are, forgive me, knowledgeable fools. There are a lot of people who know so much, but 
they can't make a decision. And maybe you know some of those. Like knowledge is knowing, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing to keep it holstered, right? Um, wisdom takes knowledge. It sorts out what is relevant, what is important, and it pushes back what is secondary and unrelated. Wisdom makes a strong decision based on that understanding. So, yeah, we could look at the life of Solomon and we could go to the low points and the bad choices that he made at points in his life. We could criticize him to be sure. But if you pull back and write a summary of the life of King Solomon, how did he do as a king? He did pretty great, honestly. He was a great leader. Never before Solomon and never after Solomon had Israel had so much prosperity. Never before him, never after him had the borders been so large, so much territory under Israel's control. Never before or after Solomon had the world around Israel admired Israel so much. People coming to Solomon to attend one of his master classes, to ask him questions. Israel was respected in the community of nations. Bottom line, ask God for wisdom. Ask God like a beggar, starving, begging for a piece of bread. God, give me wisdom. Help me out. Now, there are quickly two ways that we kind of cooperate with God. When we ask for wisdom. Two ways that he generally sources us. More than that. But I'm going to talk about two ways that that God sources us with his wisdom. One is of course the Bible. The wisdom of God in our hands. Isaiah 40 verse 8. We read this earlier. I read this in my Bible readings that we're going through. The, The grass withers. Especially in Texas in August. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of God will stand forever. It's not like an internet thing that pops up that we're all going to forget about in six months. The Word of God is foundational. You can trust it. You can tie into it. It is a pipeline of the wisdom of God into your heart and into your mind. Like if you're spending more time watching MSNBC or watching Fox News or following your TikTok feed or your Instagram feed, if you're spending more time doing that stuff than you are in the Word of God, that's not. A recipe for wisdom. Some, by the way, think the book of Ecclesiastes, which is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Some think the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. I think more likely it was either written about Solomon or maybe you could say inspired by the life of Solomon. But anyway, whichever view you have of it, it is a book that contains a good deal of wisdom. Like check this out and and I want to think about kind of updating this language to our current year 2022 circumstances. But here we go to the end of the book. Words from wise people are like sharp sticks. Ouch, doesn't sound so great. No, it's terrific. Wise sticks used to guide animals to keep that donkey from walking off a cliff or stepping in that hole 
I mean, they guide them to where they need to go. They're like nails that have been driven in firmly. I mean, they fix you. They orient you. They are solid. Uh, they're like, uh, altogether, they are wise teachings that come from one shepherd. So, be careful, my son, about other teachings. Woo. Be careful. Not disregard all of them. Not don't read books or watch movies. Be careful, though, about other teachings. People are always writing books. What would be the 2022 version of that? People are always publishing their pictures, their tweets, their ideas, what they had for breakfast. They're looking at what, they're always publishing. They're always talking. They're always sharing. They're always, in that age, writing books. And too much study will make you tired. That would be modern equivalent maybe. Too much surfing the internet. Too much seeing where your neighbor's husband took her for their anniversary. Wow, they went to Cancun. Too much looking at the slap or whatever the internet mob is enraged about today. No doubt there will be something this week. Everybody's like, whoop, got to flock over there and get mad about it. Too much of that will make you tired and anxious and fearful. Now, he says, everything has been heard. So I give my final advice. Honor God. Obey his commands. We're talking about the Bible again. Because this is all people must do. You get that right, you're going to be okay. We're always generating content these days. We're always looking at content these days. But Scripture is this pipeline of God's wisdom into our lives. Here's the other bit of counsel. So tie into the Bible, regular, feed on that. The other bit of wisdom has to do with the church being plugged into this community of the redeemed. This is essential for wise living. Why is that, Gordon? Because you need a place where you're not the star. <laughs> you, you need a place in the world where things do not revolve around you. You need a place that reminds you that God is at the center of all things. God is in control. God's wisdom doesn't change. And God, as they say, has the whole world in his hands. You need a place that reminds you of that. You need a place where you're not the alpha and the omega. Jesus Christ is. You're not the perfecter of all things. Jesus Christ is. You need a place where it's not all about you. So the church exists to bring God glory. The church exists to make disciples of Jesus. So today, let's ask God for wisdom, confident that he will fulfill his promise and grant us that, and let's download God's wisdom into our lives by being part of the redemptive community, God's church. 
and by learning from his word, from the Bible. First Corinthians, by the way, the Bible tells us something about Jesus. First Corinthians 1.24, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. All of it wrapped up in this person of Jesus. The wisdom and the power of God. That's why we make disciples of Jesus here at Preston Crest. So maybe today, the the step you need to take is to resign as CEO of your life. And surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Maybe that's the step you need to take. Maybe you need to repent Confess your sins, repent, turn away from the direction you've been going and turn into the direction that God has mapped out for you. Maybe you need to be putting on today the story of the gospel, wearing that as your own, being baptized in the name of Jesus. Maybe you need the prayers of this church. Let's respond by standing and giving our praise and adoration to God right now. Let us be faithful, 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 Lord. Let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. Though we cannot see, we still believe. Let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. We believe in a God who is able to bring justice and mercy. so thankful that all of you have chosen to be here and we appreciate Gordon's message on seeking God's wisdom as he is the source of all good wisdom and we're just so thankful y'all are here this morning just a reminder this evening uh, at six o'clock we'll be honoring 
and um, celebrating all of our LTC participants for all their hard work they've done over the last several months in the book of Genesis. As we end, let's uh, read together Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get the wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And the church said, 